0: Chandogya Upanishad 7.16.1 So Narad as a seeker has gone to Rishi Sanat Kumar hmm? and the prelude is that uh, Sanat Kumar taught uh, Narad about that has just happened before this particular verse. And Narad thinks that uh, now he has gained the supreme knowledge, the final realization. So, Narad is all filled up. Sanat Kumar even asks him, do you have anything more to ask? Please query. Narada remains silent. So Sanat Kumar understands that Narad has probably concluded, Narada is thinking that I now know the final thing. So Sanat Kumar must bring Narada out of that because prana or consciousness is from the truth, is hungry for the truth, aspires to reach the truth but is not the truth itself. Consciousness as we know it is dualistic, truth is non-dual. Consciousness has as its content the entire universe. In truth there is dissolution of the universe. So consciousness though a high level of reality is not the final truth. So from there the conversation proceeds and the verse we are looking at today. It's beautiful in this conversation, truth has been referred to as Ati, Ati. Hmm? And the knower and speaker of the truth as Ativadi, Ati means extreme, Ati here stands for transcending, going beyond, it's an extreme, like the edge of the cliff. The edge of the cliff is an extreme, right? So the truth has been called as that. It's uh, interesting how today the word extreme or ati is misused and misunderstood. When somebody goes mad, we start calling that person an extremist. As if extremism in itself is a problem. No, extremism is not a problem. In fact, the person you call as an extremist is not at all an extremist. He is very much a worldly man. Just that his worldliness does not align with the normal kind of mainstream worldliness. So you start calling him an extremist. He is not an extremist. He wants the same things that you do. How is he? Wanting an extreme thing, no. You want power, the extremist also wants power. Just that his means are different, just that his ideologies do not match with yours. How is he an extremist? No, he is not an extremist, he too is a middle roader. The world lives in checks and balances, right? And the world is in fact condemned to live in balances because it does not have anything worthy enough to be fully committed to. When you do not have one thing you can rely fully on or invest yourself fully in or be fully committed to, then obviously you have to diversify. That diversification is a state of sorrow that diversification is insecurity but the world in its self inebriated state calls that as balance it is not balance it is helplessness you do not have that one you can commit yourself hundred percent to therefore you are scattered Therefore, your loyalties are fragmented, therefore your portfolio in the psychological sense is diversified. Hmm? You call that as balanced. It is so interesting that the truth has been called here not as an balance but as an extreme. The truth is an extreme. You need not be balanced. Hmm? You have to go for one and leave behind the many. What balance is there in it? The knowers have repeatedly said the manyness is now behind me. It's the one that I now care for. And if I keep caring for the many, then the one will elude me. Are you getting it? Hmm? So, here. Uh, A person must first know the truth, says the seer, Sanat Kumar is the seer here. A person must first know the truth only then he is truly an Ativadi. An Ativadi is one who knows the truth, who lives the truth, who walks on the way of the truth and who also speaks the truth. Vad means both the path and the word if you speak of the truth you are an Ativadi and if you walk on the way of the truth you are an Ativadi and these two are one and that's also the thing that Sanat Kumar is trying to teach here that you cannot speak of the truth before walking the path of the truth so Narad says sir dear seer I want to be an Ativadi I want to know the truth Sanat Kumar says that is not sufficient. One must earnestly desire to know the truth. Narad says I earnestly desire to know the truth. I want to know the truth. Hmm? So now Narad has been shaken up from his position of complacency. He had uh, settled down too early. A few nuggets of uh, knowledge were given to him and he thought that was all. Sanat Kumar is now saying no that is not all my dear son there is more to come. Narad says I am ready I want to have that. Sanat Kumar says is there an earnest desire please tell me. He wants Narad to commit and Narad does commit. Narad says yes there is an earnest desire without that earnest desire truth is not going to possible, be possible. So seven seventeen one. when one understands then alone does one declare the truth. Without understanding, one does not declare the truth. Only he who understands declares the truth. But for that, first of all, one must have an earnest desire, a burning desire to understand. What To understand what? To understand understanding. <laughs> to understand the truth. You must have a desire to understand, understanding itself. Sir, respected sir, I wish to understand, understanding. I wish to understand, understanding. This is the beauty, the magic, uh, the glory of Upanishads. Sir, I want to understand, understanding itself. How will you understand the truth? If you do not know what understanding itself means, and if you can understand what you call as understanding, truth is understood. Truth is not far. Hmm? So then, when one reflects, then alone does one understand. Without reflecting, one does not understand. Only he who reflects, understands. But one must desire to understand reflection. Reward sir, I desire to understand reflection. Do you see that the Rishi is pinning down Narad on one word? What is that one word? Is the word truth? Is the word understanding? Is the word reflection? No. What is the word? Desire. Desire is the word. Truth is not far away if you desire. Do you desire the truth first place? Do you desire? Mm. So, he says, first of all, pran is not the truth. All right? Then he says, you can know the truth only if you have an earnest desire to know the truth. All right. Well, you can understand, you can talk of the truth only if you understand the truth. But to understand the truth, first of all, you must understand understanding. Do you desire to understand understanding? He then stretches it. But you can understand understanding only if you are first prepared to reflect on life. I desire to reflect on life and so on and so forth. It carries on. What's more important here is to see that nothing matters more than your basic honesty.
1: For
0: a period of uh, around Seven years, all I was doing was uh, going through as many wisdom texts as possible. Texts from all streams, all parts of the world, all periods in history, all religions, songs, philosophies, commentaries. Original texts, essays, biographies. In fact, I had uh, neglected all my other work and was focusing only on reading, reading, reading. I was letting my worldly activities just drift and all the numbers related to my worldly activities were sliding down and I was letting them slide. I wanted to come to that one thing that all knowers and seekers have tried to point at. And you know what is it that I came to ultimately? Honesty. That is all. What is it that you want? Do You really want it. The desire and the intensity of desire. And once you declare a desire, the depth of your commitment in pursuing it, that is the only thing that matters. Otherwise, the spiritual world is too vast and the inventory is just unthinkable unmanageable. There are so many terms and thoughts and ideas and things coming from this side that side those 7-8 thin- years stretched into a decade and I felt more affirmed within that beyond this clutter of phrases and definitions and concepts is just one word love nothing but love which is another name for Desire and deep honesty in making that desire your life, absolute commitment, nothing else matters. People would come and say, We are trying, we are not getting it, we want to know, we do not succeed. And my answers started becoming brief, even terse. I would just say, do you even want it? Had you wanted it, it couldn't have eluded you. Mm -hmm. In Hindi I would ask, Chahiye kya?" He would say, Milneira, I'm not getting it. I would look into his eyes and say, kya? do you even want it? Before you say you're not getting it, tell me please, with your hand on your heart, do you even want it? And and that that thing has not only stayed on, but has actually become deeper. Nothing else matters. The quality of love, that's all. What is it that you want? It is as if existence is not keen on putting any conditions or bondages on you. In some sense, you are absolutely free even now. And that's what Vedanta, Advaita Vedanta specifically keeps asserting. You don't need to chase freedom, you are free right now. That is true. In a very peculiar sense. Aren't you free to choose your bondages? Then how can you not be free to choose freedom? It is an expression of your freedom that you have chosen bondages. Now don't cry. But you might. You are free to cry. (laughs) If you love to cry, who can stop you? The quality of your love is everything. That's all. That's what the Upanishads are telling us here. That's what the sage wants to impress on Narad. The word love has not been used even once. The Upanishads do not use that word. Vedanta uses the word love very sparingly. But then the entire Vedantic literature is a song of love. Hmm? Bhagavad Gita, the great song. You could call it a love song. Hmm? It's a Gita. Reflection would happen. What is it to reflect? To reflect is to see, you know, something that is not easily visible to the eyes. You stand in front of the mirror and then you see. Otherwise, you wouldn't have seen. It's easy. Are mirrors so expensive? (laughs) Are mirrors so rare to find? It's easy to reflect. It's not terribly difficult to understand either. And truth has no interest in playing hide and seek. You want it, you take it home. The question is, do you want it? If you are too happy with falsenesses and bondages, that is a testimony to your existential freedom. That also is the difference, you know, between pity and compassion. In pity, there is always the feeling that the other or the self, if you are having self-pity, is a victim of circumstances, that something wrong has happened to the person. in compassion you know whatsoever is happening is your choice but still if you declare that you are suffering then the choice needs to be redone that's compassion pity is premised on helplessness and choicelessness it turns you into a victim Compassion is premised on awakening of choice. You are suffering, but you are not obliged to. Suffering can come to an end if you decide to. That's compassion. And worse than even pity is commiseration what does commiseration mean your misery becomes my misery looking at your pitiable state your terrible state i am reminded of mine i find you crying and i respond to that by with my own tears you know Your suffering reminds you of mine. Not only does it remind me of mine, it actually activates my suffering. In some sense, I start competing with you. How is it possible that you suffer more than me? If you can cry, my eyes too can well up. That's commiseration. Compassion is a very, very different thing. About choice. Hmm? When one understands, then alone does one declare the truth. Without understanding, one does not declare the truth. Only one who understands declares the truth. But one must desire to understand understanding. We will go into this. You will say, but there are so many people who keep declaring the truth, even if it is obvious that they have no understanding. Mm. No. To ears that can really listen, an expression of uh, truth from a mind that does not understand will show up as an expression of falseness. If someone sits in front of you and starts preaching the truth, without having really understood the truth, and you are taken in, you are fooled, that merely means that your ears do not really want to listen to the truth, otherwise he wouldn't have managed to fool you. I'll give you a simple analogy. You want to listen to the truth because you are thirsty for the truth, are you not? Else, why would you go to someone and implore him to tell you the truth? So, you are thirsty, you are thirsty. That's why you have gone to him and you want him to quench your thirst. You are thirsty and he is serving you kerosene. How is it that you do not immediately realize that the fellow Is a fraud, a quack. Tell me, please. In fact, you are the one who should be in the best position to realize that the fellow is not speaking the truth. Had he spoken the truth, I would have been quenched and liberated by now. That's not happening. The thing is, even you do not want the thirst to be quenched. He serves you kerosene, you take in it. And taking it in, You are not saddened by, hurt by the fact that your thirst has deepened, that your suffering has deepened, you are okay with it. That is the entire problem. You do not want water and that's the reason why kerosene sellers continue to thrive. Else you will throw the kerosene on his face. What is it you are giving me? Give me something that really is the truth. It's the truth that I am looking for. If you are really, if you are really concerned about your welfare, and you buy a medicine, don't you bother to see whether it is genuine or spurious? Don't you check the expiry date? Don't you check the manufacturer, the brand and the other things? Don't you want to match the drug with the prescription? You do all those things, right? So don't say that one can utter the truth even without knowing the truth. Those who do not understand the truth, what they are uttering is obviously false. It's just that you are not testing them enough to expose them. Hmm? They do not want to be questioned because deep questioning can lay their claims bare. And you too do not want to question. So together the two of you sing a great unholy duet. He is preaching, you are listening. He want, does not, he cannot, he cannot tell the truth. You do not want the truth. Happily the two of you go together. He cannot tell the truth. You do not want the truth. And together the two of you want to keep the pretense that something truthful is happening. Some great discussion, some satsang or something is going on. Both the parties are interested in keeping up the pretense, the façade. Both the parties are partners, shareholders in this concern of falseness. Are you getting me? So know this very clearly. Without being in the truth, it is not possible even to utter truthful words. The popular notion that anybody can utter the truth irrespective of whether he knows it or not is false. Don't we say words come cheap? Anybody can say anything without even understanding what he is saying. It is not possible. It is possible only when that person is not being tested. Somebody comes and says Aham Brahmasmi." Somebody can quote from the Gita, the Upanishads, the knowers, the saints. And you will say, see, he has already uttered the truth. He does not know a thing, but he is still uttering the truth. No. Test him, let him utter a bit more and he will be exposed. He has not uttered the truth. just parroted some words. If it's about words, ask him to utter a few more words. Not out of rote learning, but as a response to your inquiry. Inquire and see what he says, and he'll be exposed. But we don't even inquire. And here, what do you see? Naradhan Sanat Kumar. The entire process is conversational. There are questions and answers to and fro. There is no scope for the respondent to hide his ignorance. Questions are flying thick and fast. One inquiry follows the other. How will you hide your ignorance? Do speakers and teachers of today engage in this kind of conversational traffic? Hmm? Now something even more beautiful one must desire to understand understanding. Revert sir, I desire to understand understanding. Why is it important? Because it is understanding that establishes the truth. And if understanding, what you call as understanding is itself false and faulty, then how will the truth that your understanding brings to you be impeccable. Are you getting it? Truth is what your understanding brings to you. If understanding itself is faulty, what will be the quality of the truth your understanding brings to you? Look at how people use the word understanding. You, you fancy something you say you understand it you have come to a certain conclusion and you say you understand it you form an idea about something and you say you have understood is that what understanding is and if that is what your understanding is then your truth will be very cheap you'll form an idea about something and you'll say this is the truth Are you getting it so you have to first of all know the entire process within how is it operating what is it that happens when you know the process within you come upon its falseness you realize that the very faculty that seeks to know the truth is itself the barrier against the truth You want to know the truth through thoughts, through ideas, through comparisons, through past, through images, through analogies. That's not how the truth can come to you. These are in fact the preferred instruments of falseness. When you come upon the falseness of the instruments themselves, you get rid of the instrument. You get rid of what you call as the mind and that is the silence, the nothingness of the truth. Otherwise, there is no truth to be known. What is it that the inquiry into and pursuit of truth gives you? It gives you freedom from the false. It does not give you the truth. There is a great difference between these two. When you want the truth, it is not the truth that you get. You'll be disappointed in that sense but you get something far greater than even the truth. Freedom from the false. And that freedom from the false is the true name for the truth. If you are not yet free from the false and yet you claim to have the truth, then your truth is a part of your falseness. Therefore. Sanat Kumar is saying that you must understand understanding. What you normally call as understanding is nothing but falseness. You do not understand one thing, but you claim to understand so much. In every fifth sentence you utter, there is the word understanding. No? Yes, I have understood. Do you understand? Yes, I do. Understand. That as far as you are what you are, there can be no understanding. But that hurts the ego so much. You tell the ego you do not understand that particular topic or area or subject. The ego will probably admit, yes I do not. But if you tell the ego you are incapable of understanding anything, the ego will react rebel and that's what needs to be understood what you call as understanding is nothing but concept formation image formation you form images you start believing in those images and when an image is cemented in the mind when an image seems to be verified by a thousand others or at least by your own inner testing agency then you say the image is the truth and I have understood Hmm? go into this how do you know you understand? how do you know? who certifies that you understand? sometimes outsiders do that at other times there is somebody sitting within who certifies? yes understood none of that is understanding and the question of understanding is very central to the pursuit of truth. When the false concepts that masquerade as understanding are seen as false, then what you have is the truth.
1: Ji. Uh, my question is, uh, if someone is not, you said that nothing matters more than basic honesty. My question is, if someone is not honest, uh, the facts say that if I am not honest is it possible to make me honest by making I mean is it possible that I follow some process or I be in such an environment that nudges me towards honesty
0: Process is not possible Attempts can be made Attempts from various directions There is no formula or algorithm Attempts can be made and the patience to stay with the attempts and Keep trying, comes from love. So is this love
1: the love for truth or is this love just I want to get rid of my suffering?
0: Depends on how you want to put it. In general, love flows in the outward direction. So in a manner of saying you could say it is love for the truth or love for freedom. But equally it won't be wrong to say it is love for freedom from your bondages. It's just a, just an urge within, a strong desire within. A consolidated, crystallized desire that does not dissipate itself in five directions. Not this, not that, you know, a thousand things you want, not that. A very, very strong urge for that one intangible thing.
1: This is what Acharya Shankar calls as Mumuksha. Great. And uh, today uh, you mentioned that the focus is on desire and mm-hmm. yesterday in Gita session also Shri Krishna is focusing on desire, desire, calm. So both of them are focusing on calm desire. It's so,
0: just that desire can be the most life giving thing and also be the most life sapping thing. It depends on the f- direction, the flow of the desire. So we are biologically
1: trained or biologically conditioned that our desire flows outside. Goes
0: towards the bottom, Muladhar.
1: Okay, so for procreation, our desire, central desire is for procreation.
0: Yes. Procreation, sustenance, continuing within bondages, continuing within bondages. That's the prakritic desire. Nobody wants to die and nobody wants to be liberated either. So what does that mean? We want to continue within bondages.
1: Now, but this continuation cannot happen because death will stop the continuation.
0: Yes, but nobody wants to die.
1: So if nobody wants to die, that means he wants to continue.
0: But the fact is he will die. We want to ignore the fact. In our moment to moment existence, who remembers that he is going to die? You cannot have your normal life and cheap pleasures if you are continuously reminded that you are dying.
1: And that is why saints have sung so much about death. Yep. Thank you.